This weekend in our preaching, we turn a corner. All of this year is about us becoming salt and light in the community, just as Jesus commanded us, just as he defined who we were. And that requires that we understand the basic concepts of ministry, and that's what we've been talking about uh, for the past, woe, these many weeks. But we want to turn a corner into the rudiments of ministry. That is, if you're going to be a minister, what are some of the basics that every ministry has to have? And so we're going to start out tough. We're going to start off with a tough question. How do we keep ourselves fit for ministry? How do we avoid temptation? Let me just ask you a simple question. Are the people that you gather around you people that make you feel good or people that make you be good? Are the people that you gather around you people that make you want to feel good? Or are they people that make you want to be good? Proverbs 27.6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. How much do we love each other? Do we love each other enough to tell each other the truth even when the truth hurts, knowing that the truth in the long run is better than any good-feeling deceit. Let's talk about accountability for a while. Accountability is very difficult for us in the American culture, and I'll tell you why. We are conflict-avoidant people. We don't like to fight. Oh, there's a few of you that like to argue. And that's all right. But it's not always for truth. Sometimes it's just for the fun of argument. Now I'm talking about, do you love someone enough to tell them the truth about themselves because that eventually will keep them from trouble? That eventually will keep them from self-destruction. The Bible says that's exactly how we should act toward one another. If you have your scriptures with you, you might turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We should always look out for what will build one another up in the long run. Not in the short run, not in just the conversation. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as as you also are doing. Now what really builds us up? What, what, really, what really makes us become the people we want to be in the long run? Is it ease? Mm, no. Uh, you know, I listen to teaching tapes all the time, and this, this uh, month I'm listening to uh, a series about, a philo about the philosophy of history, and it goes through several of the historians and what their philosophy of history was. And I listened to one yesterday uh, 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 reviewing the philosophy of Arnold Toynbee. He's one of my favorite historians. And Toynbee said there were, there were six major civilizations in the history of the world. And when you analyze what brought them about as civilizations, it was always a response to challenge. 
always a response to challenge. Now, the challenge couldn't be too severe or they would spend all of their energy meeting the challenge. He pointed out, for example, the Eskimos. What a severe uh, challenge they have with the climate. And so they never reached their apex as a people because they put all of their energy into trying to stay warm, trying to be productive in such a rugged and harsh climate. But with the other civilizations, there was just enough challenge and just enough response to make them pull together and become a great people. I want to say to you, the same is true for individuals. If you want to be a great person, you'll never get there by ease. You will get there because you have arranged for a challenge. That's what accountability is, by the way. It's somebody that you've arranged for to come and challenge you. To come and say, look, if I'm getting off, off the beat, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm doing something that's, that's kind of dumb, I want you to challenge me. It's very important to note that without that arrangement, without us going to somebody or without being a part of a group where there's a tacit understanding that we will be challenged, that we will hide our sin. That's the nature of sin. You remember what it was in Genesis chapter 3. As soon as the man sinned, what did he do? Ran behind a bush. Put a barrier between him and God and hid from God. What did he do in response to the woman? Put another barrier there. Hid from the woman. That's the response to sin. You remember what it says in John chapter 3? That the light was available, but they didn't come to the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And they were afraid of the light, lest the light expose their sins. Sin keeps us from exposure. Sin makes us high. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 3, not to let the deceitfulness of sin take us away from the ways of God. See, the deceitfulness of sin says this. You know what? You can handle this. As a matter of fact, you know everything that there is to know about you. You know yourself better than anybody else knows you. I want to tell you something. All of us have blind spots. All of us have blind spots. There is a man who once said that we all can recognize a fool when we see one, but we can't recognize a fool when we are one. I like that. We all can recognize a fool when we see one, but we can't recognize a fool when we are. That's why we need one another. <laughs> That's why we need a system of accountability. That's why we can't hide, as is our tendency to do. And I know all of us live rugged lives, and I know we live drained lives, and I know we just like to go someplace and sleep every once in a while. But we've got to have people that will come and crawl on top of us and say, mm, got something for you here. I like that story I used to love to tell about the dad who went in his, his den, and he was just trying to get a nap. And all the kids came in and they were playing. And he was just thinking, man, if I could just pretend to go to sleep, maybe they'll take a, a hint and, and leave the room. Well, they did just the opposite. They wanted him up playing with them. So they played louder and louder and louder and louder, and he didn't budge. He just kept faking like he was asleep. Finally, the oldest one crawled on top of him, lifted up his eyelid. <laughs> he decided, I'm going to fake no matter what. Lifted up his eyelid and looked at the rest of them and said, yeah, he's in there all right. All of us 
will try to play possum with this sin thing. All of us will say, you know what, I just don't want to deal with this. But you need someone, maybe several someones in your life to come and say, mm, I know you're in there. And this is what we got to say. This is what I got to tell you because I see you heading for trouble. Some of you need gentle people. You need someone to pull alongside with the gift of mercy who wouldn't hurt your feelings for the world and who, who come in fear and trepidation because you're already very sensitive. I love the story about the mother who had a very sensitive young man and he was in second grade and he, she went in and talked to the teacher and said, you know, my Percy is so sensitive that if he, if, he, if he acts badly, don't scold him. Just slap the kid next to him. He'll get the hint. Some of you are very sensitive. But most of us need a strong voice or we will be able to avoid the challenge. Most of us need someone. <laughs> there was a kid in the, in, the, uh, <laughs> in the kid's sermon last night. It was so funny because uh, all the kids get up at the same time and they go toward their classes and you could just see this older sister looking at her younger brother. And he was going the wrong way. And he tried, she tried to jerk him into the right way, and he wouldn't go the right way. And so she started yelling at him, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. He wasn't about to listen. And so she just ran. I mean, he's going the wrong way! And he was, she was all the way up that hill. He's going the wrong way! It was hilarious. But you know what? Some of us need exactly that in our life. If we won't listen, we need somebody to tell everybody who will listen. They're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. We need that. And we don't need to wait for somebody who's perfect to do that. You know, I, I know so many people who avoid accountability because they discredit the one who's calling them in sin. They think to themselves, well, who are you to tell me, man? Who are you to tell me? I watched a very interesting, uh, so many of you recommended this movie to me the apostle and so i took my family the night we went to see it together and uh it's a movie about uh someone who in spite of his sinfulness god uses for his purposes but because of his sinfulness can only use him temporarily i want to say that many of us are like that in spite of our sinfulness, God uses us. My prayer before every worship service is, God, don't let the sins of your servant stand in the way of your people. We've got to recognize that. God uses us in spite of our sinfulness, but because of our sinfulness, many times he will only use us on a temporary basis. What I'm saying is that's no excuse not to listen to someone. Everyone God can use to tell us the truth. No matter what shape they're in, no matter what they believe, the truth is the truth. And the truth is the best thing we can do for one another. So we are to be peer-challenged. That is how God builds us up. And we are to arrange for that. Now, read the next verses. It says this, but we request, we request of you, brethren, 
that you appreciate those who, are dil who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work and live in peace with one another. Now, this is very important. He's talking about one group of people here, and they are player coaches. They work among us, and they are over us. We not only need to have prayer, uh, have peer accountability, we need to have authority accountability. We need to find those people in our lives who we see as over us in the Lord. Many of us have a problem with authority. But you know what? If you have a problem with authority, you're going to have a problem with God. God's an authority. God doesn't give suggestions. He gives commandments. You know that. God doesn't come alongside and say, how do you feel? Well, the Holy Spirit comforts. But God the Father, when he speaks, you better listen. You better listen. And so we need people to speak to us with authority. I am in submission to the elders here and will always be. I have pulled an accountability group around me, and I meet with them weekly, and I'm in submission to that and will always be because I know my tendency to be able to fool myself about the little things, and I know where the little things lead. We need people over us in the Lord. That is very, very, very important. Because if we don't have those people over us, what good is any authority at all? It broke my heart to read this week of a church that in its social principles says that they proclaim homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. But yet when a minister married a homosexual couple, they didn't hold them accountable. If that is your belief and you don't hold someone accountable, what does that say to everybody about your belief? It says this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're not sure. We don't know. Whatever. We have to understand what is happening to this society. There is a good thing in that all of us are becoming more sensitive. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that men are, are becoming more nurturing, that, that we are able to um, um, become... Um, more undergirding, uh, that men are playing with kids and they're spending uh, time taking their responsibility in the household. That's a good thing. But you know what? It is also a good thing to keep the male quality as male. It's also a good thing to be able to be strong and to take your proper role I read an article this week about the feminization of society. It was an excellent article. It talked about the wide world of sports. It's no longer the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. It's, it's let's interview this person's family. Get the human relations angle on it. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But when people become confused about the value of strength and the declaration of strength, we lose something and we lose something very valuable. I need people in my life who will take care of me. 
But I also need people in my life that'll cut me off at the knees. I need people in my life that'll say, Hunter, you're acting like an idiot. Don't care how it makes you feel. You may want to cry. You're acting like an idiot. And I'm telling it to you straight. You've got to have that call. That's God the Father. He's the authority. There's no, there's no negotiation with God. You can't say, well, God is the authority. And in Scripture, over and over and over and over again, if you don't obey, you're cut off the knees. It's, 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 it's seeking your own destruction. And to cut that part of Scripture out cuts it out of half of who God is. And so, therefore, there is authority, and there is a legitimate authority in our life. And to avoid that is to seek our own destruction. Now, look at the last verses. It says this, And we urge you, brethren, Now, I want you to see what he's going to do right now. So far, he is saying, you need to be accountable. Now he flips the coin. And he says, and you need to hold other people accountable. I know many of us can say, you know, I really do need somebody just to kind of check up on me because I'm doing some stuff I don't want to do and I know it's wrong and unless somebody comes alongside of me, I'm just going to keep on doing it. I know myself. And so I need somebody. But many of you don't see yourself as someone who could be that person for somebody else. I want to tell you, you are exactly that. You are exactly. Don't wait for them every time to come and ask you. I mean, it's wonderful if they do. But again, there are times when you just need to go to somebody and out of your love, and they'll be able to tell what spirit that you're bringing in that, into that conversation. And out of your love, say to them, you know what? This is not good. You don't want to go here. You don't want to do it. It's wrong. You don't want to do that. And so it's saying, it's saying, and we urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly. That is the undisciplined. That is, that is, a, that is a, uh, a catch word. By the word admonish doesn't just mean reprove. It means instruct. It means, it means help them. Give them something alternative, something, uh, some, some better way of doing it. Don't just come in condemnation. Uh, know that you're in, let them know you're in their corner. But it says the unruly or undisciplined, which implies someone who's not as far along in the faith as you are. And I don't care if you've been just, you've, you've been a Christian one month. If you've been a Christian one month, that makes you one month, one month older than other people that, who are just now becoming Christians. You have responsibility. Or maybe God's given you an insight that he hasn't given somebody else. If you've only been a Christian a month, you still have the responsibility to share that insight. So it says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men, and see that no one repays e another evil for evil. In other words, don't get, don't get uh, nitpicky about the whole thing. Don't just, don't just go around saying, well, he did this to me one time, so I'm going to do this. That's not the game. That's not, that's not, about, that's not about what submitting our ministry for improvement is all about. Don't, re, don't get into the thing about repaying somebody evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. You see, this is about the truth. You're not saying someone, to someone that something that you wouldn't say to everybody. It's not about them. It's about the truth. It's about what everybody needs to understand. And maybe they're missing it because they've got a blind spot. 
They're not missing because they're awful people. They're missing it because they've got a blind spot. So God has appointed you. Now, let me tell you a couple of things. When we start to think about helping other people be accountable, what we need to keep in mind. First of all, God gave them to us. If they are, if they are the next generation, somewhere in here, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, where, where it is the command, I should have that marked, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says this, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see the generational passing down? What God is hoping for us is not only that we are accountable, that we help other people be accountable. Because that's, that's the generation we need to be bringing up. That's the, that's the generation we need to be pouring our lives into. And there are a couple things that we need to be able to, 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 to think. First of all, we need to protect them. We need to protect them. God's given uh, uh, us to, to, to um, protect them both from themselves and from other people. And from the harm that could come. That's what a parent does to a kid. A parent does that. I mean, if, if, it's, if you're a good parent, listen, Papas, you remember when your daughter started dating? Huh? What did you feel like? Did you have any conversations with those people? You know you should. Don't just let somebody take your daughter out. You ought to sit down with that person and have a conversation with them. Because you're that person's protector. God gave you to that person. I remember a story once about a, a kid who came to pick up a girl for the first time. Father had never met him. He popped out of his car. He kind of brushed his car as he went up to the door whistling. Father met the kid at the door. Said, I don't want to talk with you. Well, the kid wished he'd never come. But he went in, he sat down. He said, I'll tell you what. What, what, what would you say if I were to tell you that in my garage there is a Maserati. The kid said, a Maserati? Yeah. He said, no kidding? He said, what if I were to tell you I was going to let you borrow that car? Let me borrow a Maserati? He said, what would you do? He said, would you, would you be more careful with that car than you were with your own? I sure would. Would you squeal the tires? No way. Would you lay across the hood? Never! The dad looked at him and said, I haven't got a Maserati. But I want to tell you, my daughter is more precious to me than any car ever would be. You understand what I'm saying, boy? <laughs> I'm loaning her to you for a couple hours. You understand what I'm saying? I love what Dave did. I hope I'm not embarrassing you, Dave, but, but he had a conversation. My, our, our boys have been taught to have conversations with the uh, girls' parents who they're dating, and, and uh, they have had a varying degree of, of nerve to do that. But when Dave talked with Joel when he started dating her daughter, uh, he had, I'm, I'm, Dave's the nicest guy in the whole world, and, uh, and uh, I'm sure it was a very pleasant conversation, but the only part that Joel remembers that Dave said, and fathers, this is a great line. I want you all to use it. <laughs> he looked at Joel, and he said, Joel, I want you to know something. My daughter and I are very close, and she tells me everything. <laughs> I love that line, boy. Well, that was great. 
Why? Because Joel's a bad kid? No, I want, I want to be like him when I grow up. He's the most disciplined kid I know, but he's a boy. You understand? He's a boy. And all of us have. We can't fool ourselves about our temptations. We've got to, to pass on that accountability to the next generation. And then we've got to use them while we can still mentor them. That's what Paul is talking about here. You see, this is in the present imperative verb tense and mood, and it means keep on instructing, keep on encouraging, keep on helping, keep on being patient. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that part of our accountability to God is bringing in that next generation right alongside of us in ministry. That's why you'll see so many of them up here. That's why even now we're training uh, the next generation for young adult ministry while, while we're still not too old to care anymore. While we can still work alongside of them, that is a part of how God holds us accountable. So do this this week. Think to yourself. If I haven't got someone to whom I'm accountable, can I find somebody? Even if it's just periodically going to them and saying, you know, I got this problem, what would you do? I got this tendency, what would you do? Find someone. Find someone who's nurturing, but find someone who's strong too, because that's what we need. And then be someone who is nurturing and strong for someone else. Love them like that. That's what we need. And if, if you really believe that God is sovereign in all relationships, if you really believe that God is in control through those that he brings to you, you will be able to bequeath the authority of your own life to others periodically so that you can live it better. Pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you that we are not on our own. Thank you that we are not our own authority. Thank you that you have given us each other not just for encouragement and support, but for guidance and to, to help with our obedience to you. This is not about how well we behave. This is about the people we want to be so that we can glorify you. Bring us those people and help us not only to be open to their feedback, but to seek it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.